uh, once you found Isaiah chapter 2, try to locate verse number 5 there. That's where we'll start uh, with our scripture reading, and then we'll be uh, looking from verse 1 down through verse 22 as we go. But verse 5 to start with, stand with me if you can, if you found that, if you're able to. And we'll read verse number 5. That's where we'll get the title of our, our uh, Bible study tonight. The Bible says, O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So the title of the Bible study tonight is this, An Invitation to Walk in the Light. An Invitation to Walk in the Light. Isaiah is going to sort of pull back the curtain a little bit and uh, show Israel, Judah, what is to come with God and his kingdom and say, listen, that's coming down the road. That's in the future. Let's go ahead and get on board with this God right now, and let's walk in that light. And so let's pray together tonight. Lord, help us to understand the passage uh, far better than we uh, do now. And Lord, um, uh, help the, um, the applications to be clear. Lord, as we look back at a passage that was written, uh, for Old Testament time, we look back at a passage that was written for another people group, uh, and Lord, where the interpretation doesn't directly apply to us, help us, Lord, to be able to pull some applications out that do apply to us and will help make us better. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we said that um, uh, two weeks ago when we began Isaiah chapter 1, we said that the entire book can be summed up into two concepts You have the government of God, and you have the grace of God. The government of God and the grace of God. And I told you next to the government of God to write down the word law, law. And that really does sum up the whole book. And Isaiah is going to bounce back and forth between this idea of law or truth and and grace, mercy. And we know that God is that. He is a balance of mercy and truth. And so he's going to also move around in time because he was a prophet. And so sometimes his prophecies relate directly to the people he's speaking to. He's preaching a sermon that is uh, present-day current events of that time. And then other times he's going to look ahead to the first coming of Christ. And then other times, as we'll see tonight, he looks ahead to the second coming of Christ. Uh, The first time Jesus came, he came as a prophet And the last time he comes, he'll come as a king. Tonight, uh, Isaiah 2, most of the the chapter here deals with that second coming of Christ and shows us Jesus in that second coming of Christ. Verse 5, the invitation is to the house of Jacob, to all of Israel, to come, come, leave your darkness. Leave from walking in darkness and come and walk in the light. Again, back to chapter 1. Uh, the accusations were laid. What were the accusations? You are a rebellious people. You're stiff-necked. You're hard-hearted. Your rebellion is senseless. Your rebellion is stubborn, even though I've burnt your cities down, even though you're sitting in in ash heaps, and even though people are pillaging your... uh, strangers are pillaging your towns and taking what they want. That does not change. You will not change. My corrective measures have ceased to matter or ceased to work. You're rebellious people. And so he pointed to their rebellion and he pointed to their religion. So uh, their, their, And he said their religion was apostate. It was no good anymore. They were going through the motions of worship, but not actually worshiping God. And God was telling them, you're better off not even doing it. And so we come to chapter 2, and the plea is for them to repent from that, be redeemed, and walk in the light. And so let's look at three overarching thoughts tonight. Uh, Verse 1 down through verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 4, lay out the first thought. Verse 5 through verse number 9, lay out the second thought. And then verse 10 through verse 22, lay out the third thought. So that's how we'll break up the chapter tonight as we consider this idea of walking in the light. Number 1, notice a coming theocracy. A coming theocracy. Now we all know what a democracy is. That's when the people rule the people rule one day it won't be the people that rule it will be jesus that rules and theo you've heard of theology or a theist atheist is someone who claims not to believe in god theology is the study of god and theocracy is the rulership 
of God. And so one day, the government of this world will be one man. He will be judge, jury, and executioner. Another way of putting that is he will be the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch. He will do it all because he is God and he is perfect and he can do it all. He'll do it through the person of Jesus Christ, a coming theocracy. Look at with me at verse number one. The Bible says, or rather look at verse number two. Uh, we'll, we'll, okay, we'll begin with one that way we read all the verses here. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, um, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and he will, uh, we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they, uh, they lean, uh, learn war anymore. Let me give you an A, B, C, and a D here. Notice letter A, his kingdom established. His kingdom established. Look with me at verse number 2 again. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. His kingdom established. When you see a reference here to the mountains, this is a reference to a kingdom, a kingdom, a palace that was set high on top of a mountain uh, representing strength. And uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ will sit in his palace there in Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and he will rule and reign this planet Earth Right here, oh, it will be somewhat altered because of the great tribulation and uh, all of the, the terror that will be poured out on it. But this planet earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, will sit on David's throne and his kingdom will be established for a thousand years. Take your Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number 4. Turn over with me, if you would, two chapters from the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter number 20 and look with me at verse number 4. The Bible says, and I saw... Thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus and the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's that millennial reign of Christ. One day during this theocracy, his kingdom will be established. Notice letter B, his name exalted. His name exalted. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 2 and look at verse number 2. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted, exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. It isn't just enough that the kingdom will be established. This king will not be a hated king. This king will be an exalted king. The nations will love this king. Turn with me over to Zephaniah chapter number 3. Now, it may take you a moment to find that. It's uh, right before the book of Haggai. And so uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So it's four books from the end of the Old Testament. Just a few books after the book of Jonah. And so in there you find Zephaniah. Turn to Zephaniah chapter number 3. And look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says, Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And by the way, verse 8 is talking about the battle of Armageddon where Jesus comes down. We'll look at this a little bit later in the message. Uh, the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus will come down on a horse. We'll come down with him as the church age saints. And uh, his uh, mouth will open and swords will come from it. And the nations, the armies of the nations will be 
consumed. They'll be devoured with fire. They'll be destroyed. Look at verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a, a, a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in, uh, in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. People of every economical status, people of every nation uh, will be given a new tongue, a new language, and the people of this earth, when Jesus rules and reigns in Jerusalem, will praise his name. Uh, he's going to come down and destroy those enemies of God. He's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to take the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the Satan or the false trinity, and he's going to throw them into hell for that thousand years while he sets up and rules and reigns, and the world will rejoice in his name. His name will be exalted. So we see number or letter A is kingdom established during this coming theocracy. We see his name exalted. Letter C, we see the world enlightened. The world enlightened. Look at verse number 3. Verse number 3 of Isaiah chapter number 2. The Bible says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Notice there it says that this Jesus, this king, he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. And all of that that is not understood will begin uh, to be understood because Jesus will enlighten. Take your Bibles to Zechariah, Zechariah chapter number 14. So we were just in Zephaniah chapter 3. If you just turn over a couple of pages, you'll find Zechariah and Zechariah chapter number 14, very end of the chapter. By the way, the minor prophets, the minor prophets. Let me break my cadence a little bit here and uh, just uh, uh, help everyone understand this. There's a lot of arguing and bickering and discussing of the book of Revelation. Okay? And I just want to say this, that uh, the book of Revelation is difficult to understand without the prophets. The prophets. You need to understand prophecy and the major and minor prophets together, that helps you to better understand the book of Revelation. And um, when you take the book of Revelation out of context from the rest of the Bible, you can come up with some weird stuff, some strange stuff. But when you really settle down and understand uh, what the major and minor prophets have to say about these coming kingdoms, boy, then the book of Revelation makes a lot more sense. Also, I want to uh, just point this out, that there is a pattern followed in the minor prophets. The minor prophets are the shorter prophets, right? Not short in height, short in length, amen? Uh, that doesn't mean the major prophets were tall and the minor prophets were short, all right? Sometimes people get that confused. And the minor prophets just means their books were shorter. And I'm thankful for Rose. She laughs at all my corny jokes, amen? Helps, uh, helps me uh, get by up here. Um, so uh, we have uh, the minor prophets, and the pattern in the minor prophets is generally, not in every case, but generally there is the wrath of God and the judgment of God laid out, and at the very end of the last chapter, sometimes the last chapter, hope is offered. And what is that hope? Generally, it is the second coming of Christ. And so we find that with the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, the entire book is just um, the uh, nation of Israel being blasted for their rebellion against God. And then chapter number 14, we have hope laid out, and that hope is the second kingdom. And again, the thought here we're looking at is the world enlightened. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 14. It says, And it shall be in that day that living waters, notice those two words, living waters shall go up from Jerusalem half of them towards the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day shall there be one Lord and his name 
1. Look down at verse number 16 with me. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The, the homage, the yearly journey to Jerusalem that was uh, so long intact in place uh, in uh, Orthodox Judaism will be put back in place, but it won't just be Jews. It will be the people of the earth. These rivers of living water will flow from the throne of Jesus Christ, and this knowledge will be imparted on those in the world that want to know it. His, the world will be enlightened, not just by some new source, not just by some book, not just by some college professor. The world will be enlightened by Jesus Christ himself. I find it interesting that in the Garden of Eden you have uh, the Bible uh, reference the Mesopotamia and the waters that flowed and the rivers that were put in place. And sin has dried up the knowledge of God, but one day those living waters will flow. I think of John chapter 4 where Jesus asks the woman at the well to give him uh, water to drink and, and she scoffs at that and he says, well, if you knew the water that I had to give you, you'd be asking me for a drink. And he said, I want to give to you Living water, living water. Well, this living water of knowledge, this living water of life will quench our thirst and will enlighten the world. The world enlightened. Letter D, notice his laws executed. His laws executed. Go back to Isaiah chapter 2 with me and look at verse number 4. The Bible says, And he, this is King Jesus, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Let me give you two thoughts under letter D here. First of all, notice wrongdoers uh, punished. Wrongdoers punished. Go back over to Zechariah chapter 14 with me here. And we saw that the Bible said there in verse number 4, He shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people. Okay? Look with, look with me at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Shall be no rain. Now, imagine we talked about judging on Sunday morning. and We talked about how that we live in a world with broken justice systems. And no matter what country you live in, your justice system is on some level broken. And even if the justice system uh, had integritist people in it at every level and uh, Lady Justice truly was seeking to be blind, it's still not a perfect system because we're flawed and we don't know all. Now, with that thought in mind, imagine with me for a moment that God, in the form of Jesus Christ, is the judiciary system over every wrongdoing in the world. He knows you don't need a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney because the judge already knows everything. And his knowledge and discernment of the situation is perfect. And so he can execute that righteousness. And he can judge wrongdoing. And you won't be able to get away with it. You're by yourself and you're speaking blasphemy toward uh, the God of heaven and uh, the rule of Jesus in Jerusalem. And without anyone else having heard you, Jesus can call you in and punish you for that because he is God and he knows and he is right. Wow. Wow. A justice system that's perfect. No one gets locked up for something they didn't do. No one gets off when they did wrong. Every single judgment that God gives will be accurate and the amount of punishment that will be handed out for the wrongdoing will be perfect because it will be given out by the God of the universe who sits on the throne in the form of King Jesus. There will be no corruption. There will be no payoffs. Uh, there will be no uh, mistreatment of anyone regardless of color of skin or economical status because the rule and reign of Jesus, this theocracy will be perfect. Wrongdoers will be punished and only wrongdoers will be punished. And what will the result of that be? Well, the Bible tells us back in Isaiah chapter number 2 that there will be no more war as a result. 
There will be no more war. In fact, war will be such a thing of the past that they will take their, their swords and they will melt them down and turn them into an instrument used to plow a field. They will take their spears that were once used for battle and they will melt those down and turn them into pruning hooks. Um, I can imagine some child 700 years into the millennial reign picking up, his, uh, picking up a history book and reading about atomic bombs and going to his mom and dad and saying, what is an atomic bomb? And dad, looking up uh, over his glasses at his son, says, I have no idea. I've never even heard of one of those. Hey, mom and dad, what is war? What does it mean for two countries to have a military? I'm reading about military, and this seems so antiquated. And uh, people looking at their children and thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Why? Because war will be banished. Look at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And, and the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba, to Remon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabitants in her place from Benjamin's gate under the place of the first gate under the corner gate and from the tower of uh, Hannah um, uh, Ale under the king's winepress and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction because Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Can you imagine a day where no one uh, breaks into your car? Can you imagine a day where uh, police officers are hardly needed or used or military is set to the side? Because God, it will be the ruler of righteousness. War will be banished. I, I read a stat years ago about how many years collectively there have been where there was zero war going on the earth at once in the uh, history of the earth, of the population of the earth. And it just comes down collectively, collectively, to just a handful of years, less than a couple, less than 200 years, if I remember right, conservatively, less than 200 years, maybe may have even been less than that. Because listen, where there is sin, there is corruption, and where there is corruption, there is offenses, and where there is offenses, there is war. Where there is sin, there is greed, and where there is greed, that leads to war. Nation rising against nation. Well, in this theocracy, there will be no more war. Wrongdoers will be punished. The world will be enlightened. His name will be exalted. His kingdom will be established. A coming theocracy. Notice point number two, Judah's constant temptation. Judah's constant temptation. So we're going to move out of the future uh, talk for a few minutes, and we're going to look at the present. Now, Isaiah, again, it goes back and forth, back and forth from uh, present, his present time to uh, the future second coming of Christ. And sometimes he goes forward to the future first coming of Christ. And oftentimes he doesn't differentiate which is which, what he's doing, how he's doing it. And so uh, look with me at verse number 5. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Verse 7, Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands that um, which their own fingers have made. And the mean men boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself. Therefore, forgive them not. And so here, uh, uh, Israel's being invited to come and walk in the light. Um, here we have Isaiah saying to Israel, saying to Judah, he's saying, listen, this is the future. There, there is a future where Judah, Jerusalem, is the center of the earth, and Jesus Christ rules and reigns from right here, and living waters flow out. Again, reference to Zephaniah and Zechariah. And uh, there will be a day where Jesus is king, where our Messiah is king. Hey, with that in mind, turn from your wicked living and live and walk in the light. And he says, but you're not doing that. 
you're not doing that. And he points to the Israelites and he gives them two thoughts here. Notice letter A, the world's great success. The world's great success. Look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 6 and 7 again. Look at the success that's laid out here. The Bible says, Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers. Look here. Like the Philistines, soothsayers, they're into, uh, they're into divinations and they're uh, fooling around with, with, with witchcraft. That's soothsaying. And they please themselves in the children of strangers. These are the Israelites being pleased with the sinful activity of the Philistines and uh, Gentile strangers. Verse 7, their land also is full, speaking of the Philistines, the strangers, their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. We'll get to that here in just a moment here. What's he saying? He's saying there is great success. There's silver. There's gold. There's chariots. There's great wealth. There's soothsaying. There's a lot going on here. That is impressive. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, the psalmist said, Why do the heathen rage and the um, uh, evil imagine a vain thing? And that word rage there means uh, roar with success. And why do the evil roar with uh, prosperity? Uh, Boy, we live in a world where just like Judah was distracted, Christians are distracted. We look around at a world that's successful and we say, well, I don't see God punishing them. They seem to be doing quite well. Look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73 in verse number 1. That would be to the left there. Psalm 73, we find Asaph writing uh, one of the uh, psalms there. And um, uh, he's distraught. He's distraught because he's suffering for the Lord and his service for the Lord while others uh, who hate God are doing really, really well. The silver, the gold, the, the great wealth, the, the great prosperity. And, and this was a distraction to Judah. This was a distraction to the Israelites just like it is today. Look at verse number 1. Truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, as for me, Asaph said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I almost fell out of the faith. Look at verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Verse 6. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Their pride looks good on them, he's saying. It's like a jewelry. Violence covereth them as a garment. He's saying here, and again, you, you could read down the rest of Psalm 73 another time. He goes on with this line of thought and just saying the, the godless and the heathen are so successful. They're so successful. Have you ever looked at someone who didn't go to church, someone who didn't tithe, someone who didn't give to world missions, someone who wasn't living a cleaned-up lifestyle, someone who was out living a party lifestyle and maybe drinking and, and thought to yourselves, you know, it sure looks like that uh, God is ignoring any sort of punishment on them. It sure seems like they've got it quite good. Here I am living for Jesus and bearing my cross and suffering for the Lord. And boy, they sure have it easy and I sure have it hard. How many of you here have ever even one time had that thought? Oh, I sure have. I sure have. Boy, I'm a Christian. I am bound by all these rules. These rules and God pouring down suffering on me and hardships on me. And I know He's trying to grow me and make me better, but good night. It sure would be nice to take a hiatus and run out into the world and just go back and live like that for a little while. Well, Judah had done that. They had run out into the world more than once. They were living in the world consistently. They were enjoying sin, and really what was going on is they were walking in darkness. You know, um, uh, when you get deep enough into the ocean, you can lose your orientation. And you get to a place where you don't know what's down and what's up. And uh, you, you begin to panic, so I've heard and read. And uh, you can be desperately, especially if you've got one of those oxygen tanks and you're running low on oxygen and you're needing to get to the surface, you can panic and end up swimming the wrong way 
and swimming to your own peril. Light becomes darkness and darkness becomes light. And uh, they tell you to stop and watch and see which way the bubbles go. Swim that way. Even if, you, even if it goes against everything inside your body compass, follow the bubbles to the surface. We live in a world where if we get far enough away from God, we get discouraged enough with life, boy, we'll look at the world and we'll call good evil and evil good. We'll get discouraged and we'll walk away. And the problem with the world is that the world seemingly has a whole lot of success, a whole lot of success. And in that success, it draws Christians away from a holy lifestyle and encourages them to give in to the world and live like the world, this, this great success. Notice letter B, um, uh, Isaiah points out the world's great sin, the world's great sin. Look back at chapter 2 and let's read from verse 6 through 9. See if you can help me identify the sin that uh, Israel has fallen in, Judah has fallen into following, uh, following uh, the, the Philistines and these children of strangers. Verse 6, Therefore uh, thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob. The, the Lord had walked away because they had walked away from the Lord because they uh, be uh, replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, soothsayers. Now, again, that deals with witchcraft. We see the sin of the Philistines now is becoming the sin of the Israelites. And they please themselves in the children of strangers. I don't exactly know what that means, but they're finding some sort of pleasure, some sorts of pleasures in folks who are secular and paganistic. Verse 7, Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Now, while there's nothing wrong with having an abundance of wealth, there is something wrong in falling in love with that wealth. There is something wrong in becoming dependent on your horses and chariots instead of dependent upon the Lord. And here, these lands were filled with these natural resources and these animals and what had happened was the Israelites had become dependent on that and had fallen in love with that instead of having fallen in love with God. Verse 8, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean men, that's the tough guys, boweth down. And the great man humbleth himself. That doesn't mean humbles himself before God. He, the, the great men, the great paganistic men are humbling themselves before these idols. Therefore, forgive them not. Judas, or rather Israel, Isaiah rather is saying to the Israelites, he's saying, humble yourself and come and walk in the light because what you are doing is you're neglecting God and you're walking in darkness. Now let's make a New Testament application. Turn to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4 and uh, that's after the book of Hebrews, before First John, first Pe- before First Peter, Second Peter, First John. There, Hebrews, James. Look at James chapter four with me, and uh, let's make an application to the Christian today. Before we read verse four, I, I just want to say this to you all. I was talking with uh, one of our church men, uh, let's see, Monday, and I made this uh, same point with him, and he fully agreed with it. You really can sum up much of the Bible like this. God made mankind, loved mankind, provided for mankind, and mankind turned his back on God. And then God created a plan of redemption for mankind and sought to draw mankind back. And mankind many times took God up on that, but then even after they took God up on that, turned their back on God. I call it the cheating spouse effect, where God continues to love man with a perfect love, Mankind with the perfect love, and mankind continues to cheat on God with the world and things that have nothing to do with God. And while that was true for Israel, right, you, you can see the pattern, right? They're, they're right with God, and then what happens? They rebel, and then they're rebuked, and then they repent, and then they're right, and then they rebel, and then they're rebuked, and then they repent, and then they get right, and then they rebel, and then they're rebuked, and then they repent. Read the book of Judges. Right? 
That's the cycle over and over and over and over again. But even with the kings, was that not the same cycle? The cycle. And, um, and God finally threw up his hands in the air and said, I'm done. Assyria, come in here and take away the two northern tribes and you will never reassemble again. And Babylon, a few years later, you come in here and you take away the two southern tribes into captivity and I will let you come back only because I made a promise to David, but not because of you. And when you come back, I'll still keep you under the, 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 the heavy hand of other governments. You'll never get your full liberty back until I, the Lord Jesus Christ, come back and reestablish that for good. Even now, Israel is a nation, but is an under constant threat of outside forces to take them over. And this is the thing that God loves and mankind rebels. Mankind runs. Mankind cheats on God. And that same pattern follows through into the lives of Christians today. Look at James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world, the Philistines, the children of the strangers, the, the, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, that's pretty black and white, pretty crystal clear. There isn't a lot of room there, Right? For uh, forgive. If you are friends with the world, you hate God. Those aren't my words. Those are uh, God's words. Think of a cheating spouse that looks at their husband or wife after they've been caught and says, well, I love you. And that spouse that's been cheated on looks back at the other spouse and says, you don't love me, you hate me. If you loved me, you wouldn't have done that. Right? We say we love God while we're flirting with the world. God says, listen, there's no room for that. There's no room for that. Come. Come and walk in the light. Walk in the truth. The invite to walk in the light. So we see a coming theocracy. We see Judah's constant temptation to rebel. Notice number three, a colossal tribulation. A colossal tribulation. And so verse 10 through verse 22, back up to the seven years prior to uh, the millennial reign and deal with the tribulation era, that 70th week from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And I say 70th week, that 70th set of seven years that has yet to be fulfilled. The church will be raptured, Revelation 4. Revelation 6, the 70th week begins with the opening of that first seal of earth's title deed in verse 10 through 22 give us an idea of what will happen uh, when that comes about look at verse number 10 of isaiah chapter number two the bible says enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the lord and for the glory of his majesty you run excuse me run and hide because god is going to pour out his wrath on sinful man notice letter a the proud humiliated the proud Humiliated. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one uh, that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall. Well, um, let me give you, uh, look back with me at verse number 13. Verse number 13. You see there cedars of Lebanon and oaks of Bashan. That's a reference to the pride of man. Look at verse 14. You see there uh, the high mountains, the high mountains. The high mountains are a reference to government and society. These will be overturned. Uh, Look at verse number 15. You see there a reference to high tower and fenced walls. That's a reference to military power. That will be humbled as well. Uh, Look at verse 16. You see ships of Tarshish and all pleasant pictures. That's a reference to the commerce and art trade. Commerce 
and art trade. Uh, look at the pride of man. Look at government and society. Look at military power. Look at commerce and art as it stands today. God has been kicked out of all of it. Man is lifted up in their pride, and we do everything we can to dismiss God. Everything, not here at our church, not us, I mean we as a humanity. Whatever we can do to take God and dismiss Him from the picture, whatever we can do to get rid of God and dismiss that thought, He's kicked out of our courtrooms, He's kicked out of our school systems, He's kicked out of public talk, His name is thrown around in an empty way, His name is thrown around with words of condemnation or cursing, His name is treated like garbage, and one day those who are so proud as to lift up man while they're putting down God, the tribulation is going to come along. And one of those things, one of the things that's going to be accomplished in that seven-year tribulation is that the proud will be humiliated. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 8. Revelation chapter number 8 and verse number 7. Read down through verse number 13. This is just one sample of what's in the book of Revelation when it comes to the proud being humiliated. The Bible says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And that's that commerce and art, by the way. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, that's clean water, or rather fresh water, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men uh, died of the water because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise and I beheld an angel uh, I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet the sound and again this is just a small sampling of the wrath of God that's poured out on the pride of man during this tribulation the proud will be humiliated. Notice letter B, the idolatrous in hiding. The idolatrous in hiding. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 2 and look with me at verse number 18. The Bible says, And the idols he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. In that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats. Look, at verse, um, look with me at verse number 21. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the top, uh, tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Now, when I first read these verses, I thought, well, maybe they're taking their idols and they're throwing them in caves to get rid of them. Then I realized that's not what's going on here. They're given an ultimatum on their idolatry. And uh, instead of uh, getting rid of their idols in order to worship God, instead they're clinging to their idols and they're becoming cavemen. I don't know if there ever were cavemen back in... The prehistoric days, I'm not sure of that. I wasn't there to see it. But there will be cavemen at the end of time. Men will move into caves in order to be able to maintain their worship of false idols, in order to be able to bow down to them. They will move in and live with the bats. They will move into the cleft of the rocks. They will dwell in mountains. They will live in wildernesses in order 
to maintain their idolatry, their, the, the idolatrous will go into hiding. Right now we live in a day and in a world where in certain parts of our world, Christians are living in caves and are in hiding for their faith. We call that the underground church. There is coming a day where those who do right will get to live out in the open and those who want to do wrong against the God of heaven, they will have to be the ones that worship their false gods in caves and in wildernesses. And they'll have to have their underground, if you will, church. Turn back over to Revelation chapter 6. Look with me at verse number 15. Revelation 6 and verse number 15. We'll read down through verse number 17, which is the end of the chapter. Or rather, uh, rather, we'll just read verses 15 and 16 here. The Bible says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. There will be a day where people, God's wrath, God wakes, God, God awakens with His wrath and pours it down on the earth. Those who are living in sin, those who are worshiping themselves and the work of their own hands will be punished and they'll have to hide in the rocks and ask the rocks to keep them covered. Here the Lord is saying through Isaiah, He's saying to Judah, He's saying, come and walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. There's going to come a day... For those who walk in darkness will have to hide in the mountains. Don't wait for the wrath of God uh, to push you into a mountain or, uh, and hide. Come and walk in the light. Walk in the light. Let her see. We see the Lord honored. The Lord honored. We see the proud humiliated. The idolatrous in hiding. Let her see the Lord honored. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 2. The Bible says, Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord. Look at the, this last phrase here. And for the glory of His majesty. The glory of His majesty. You know, when you're doing right, you like it when authority comes around. Right? Um, don't you love when you're at work and you're working hard and you're getting something accomplished and you're, you're in your element, you're hitting your stride, and the boss comes in and catches you doing that? Isn't that good? I used to love it when I would take initiative to wash the dishes for my mom. Now I love it when I'm taking initiative for my wife and I'm washing the dishes. Happens a couple of times a year. Amen. And um, all of a sudden, my mom or now my wife comes home and catches me in the act. Isn't that great? Right? Someone you love and someone, a relationship that you honor and cherish. I loved it when I was a boy and I'd, I would decide, you know what? The lawn's looking a little tall today just going to grab the lawnmower from my dad and I'm going to cut the grass. And uh, right there in the middle of cutting the lawn, my dad got home from work. Caught me doing it. But you know what I didn't enjoy is when I was doing wrong and my dad came home from work. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy when I was doing wrong and my mom came around the corner and caught me. You know, one day Jesus is coming back and you're either going to worship Him and His majesty and His glory or you're going to be ashamed at His coming. The Lord honored Look at verse number 22. Verse number 22. The Bible says, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Wherein is he to be accounted of? And so we see here that God is the one that holds all of us accountable. Uh, breath is in his nostrils, and we are to run to him. One last passage this evening. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, throughout the um, uh, study in Isaiah, we're going to be bouncing all over the Bible. Uh, Old Testament, other Old Testament prophets, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and as he references Isaiah quite a bit, uh, Revelation. And uh, it's just a neat book because it, it just sort of is a microcosm of the whole Bible in lots of ways. Uh, but look with me lastly here, our Lord being honored. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Again, remember that uh, here he's talking about this great tribulation, where this colossal tribulation where the wrath of God is poured out on earth, but then at the end 
the Lord is honored and the Lord is praised. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he, judge, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head was many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. That's me and you, the saved, upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he that hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, uh, when you have that guy on your team, you'll worship him. When you don't have that guy on your team and he's coming at you, you're fearful. You want to run and hide. And uh, boy, one day the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is going to rapture his church. And then after the church is raptured, he's going to pour out his wrath upon this earth wrongdoers will be punished and then he's going to come and set up his thousand year reign where war will be banished and uh, we'll live with him here on this earth for a thousand years hey i just want to say you don't have to wait to the millennial reign to begin to honor the lord you don't have to wait for the rapture to begin to honor the lord we can begin to worship him in the glory of his majesty right here and right now we can praise him well, let's finish the Bible study this evening with this. Someone in here, raise your hand and tell me your favorite attribute of God. Jeannie? He's merciful. Let's, let's worship Him in His majesty and His glory for just a moment. Don't be shy. What's an attribute of God that you enjoy? Let's praise Him. Bernice? He's forgiving. Amen. Joe? All right, man, y'all are, uh, y'all are pointing out how he lets us off all the time. Amen? And that's great. He's a God of second chances and thousand chances. Someone else? Reggie? He's our creator. He's creative. Amen. I've got one. How about this one? He's holy. He's holy. Aren't you glad he's holy? Now, I don't know if that's an attribute or not. It just depends on how you look at it. But praise God for his holiness. He's sinless. Someone else? Bernice? Amen. Ever, ever present, ever powerful, and all knowing. He's perfect. He's perfect. Mike? Amen. Aren't you glad he's faithful? He never lets us down. And his faithfulness is not dependent upon our reliability, he's just faithful. Amen. Well, let's stand together and be dismissed with the word of prayer tonight. And let's worship him in the glory of his majesty. Let's walk in the light. First John tells us that we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Amen? And so let's walk in that light.